Anybody else thankful that we have an everlasting hope? A living hope, Peter said, because of what? The resurrection of the dead. And Tanya was just playing the song because he lives. And I couldn't help but to think of the hope that you and I have. And I know I haven't released the kids yet, but they need to hear it. We have hope, not just because, man, I'm getting old and, you know, I got tennis elbow now and my joints hurt and my hair's thinning or graying or whatever the case is. But I got hope that we have generations that are going to come back to the Lord. I have hope that we're going to see generations praise the name of Jesus and not scientists or professionals or experts' opinions, but truly proclaim the gospel of Christ. That's my everlasting hope, that we're going to see generations change and repent. And that's my hope. And it's all because of who? Christ being alive, not because of one particular expert or professional or any politician that has the perfect answers, our only hope in midst of cancer or in midst of parenting or in midst of paying bills is the hope found in Christ. So if you are leaving now, you may make your way out as quickly and quietly as you can. And I'm going to invite the rest of you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And uh, we thank God. Anybody else thank God for Chad Govro? Amen. Amen. Uh, he went ahead and said if my voice did go out today, he would just pick up where I left, all right? And, uh, <laughs> and he said, you don't even have to turn the crockpots off. You know, just be that quick and be home. But uh, I thank, thank God for men like him and uh, praise God because I hope to be a man like him one day, you know? A smile that people are find can be, to be contagious and a hug like no other and a hard time like like you expect and probably deserve. But, uh, yeah, he's going to fill in if my voice does go out completely. So you can either pray for it or not. I don't, I don't know what you want to do. But I do want to do something. I want to kind of follow along with what we discussed last week because this new year, you know, new me, new, new hopes, new goals, this whole thing. You know, I was uh, I was one that admitted last week I kind of needed this new year. I needed like a new perspective. I needed something fresh to start. You know, I was getting getting kind of overwhelmed with different things and I just needed something to look forward to. And as cliche or whatever you want to say about it, I was excited about this new year. And and the, the goal is to, as we discussed last week, to run the race that the Lord has set before us, to, to run this race with endurance that the Lord has set before us and to accomplish the things that God has called you to accomplish. You know, that's my goal this year. My goal isn't necessarily to just save X amount of dollars or my goal isn't just to lose X amount of weight or my goal isn't just to do this or to do that. My goal this year is to really just with endurance, with, with hope, with faith to run the race that God has called me to run. God has not called me to run your race as he hasn't called you to run my race, right? So I want to run this race that God's called me to run, which means I have to be more intentional, focused, and passionate in my marriage, in my parenting, in my ministry, and even in my workplace, with my friends groups, with my family, like all of these things. I want to run this race. So to kind of follow along with that, I want to look at Luke chapter 9, how we can take the words of Jesus and can help propel us to really run this race like he's calling us to. And something I may have said last week, I don't know, I, I, I at least thought it, 
was, you know, we need to be serious this year as a church because we could do really good things for the Lord or we could poorly steward what the Lord has given us. And I pray that our church as a body, I pray that our leadership as a group and as a unit truly with faith are prepared to take steps this year that maybe we've never taken, to do things that we've never done, to pray for things we've never even imagined. That's the kind of faith I desire for all of us. There's prayers that I haven't prayed because I thought maybe they were childish or immature or selfish, but guess what? I'm going to pray them. There's hopes that I have for your families and for our church and for our outreach and for our finances to go places that we've never maybe went or might seem a little crazy. You know, I remember if you remember the Christmas message that we had, I said something in that, that Joseph didn't understand Mary's call that God had on her until the clarity came, right? The clarity came through the angel telling him, and then after Jesus was born, there's things that God calls you to that may seem a little crazy to people around you. They don't see the clarity in it. They don't see God's hand yet, but eventually as things pan out, they will see the clarity and the details of how God has called you or led you to do or open the door for you or close this particular door. So that's my prayer. So here we go, Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23. This is a very popular passage of scripture, but we're going we're gonna to connect a few things to it, and we're going to look at some very powerful applications for all of us. So Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone would come after me. Now, if you were to read in Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24, you would see, he says, if anyone would come after me. Here we go. We see the same thing, right? If you want to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Right. This isn't when it's convenient. This isn't after I go to winter jam and I feel like I'm on a spiritual high. This isn't after I get back from a men's retreat or a women's conference. This is daily in the midst of cancer, in the midst of families breaking down, in the midst of my finances spiraling out of control, in the midst of not knowing where the next meal is going to come, in the midst of my kids living in rebellion, in the midst of my own sufferings to take up my cross daily. So he says, let him deny himself. his life for my sake will what save it for what does it man what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the father and of the holy angel this is very graphic This is very worrisome for some people that are afraid or ashamed of the name of Jesus. Ashamed to take steps of faith, to be different from culture, to truly run the race that God has called them, to truly set themselves apart in holiness from the rest of the world and the rest of the evil or the rest of the fleshly desires or the rest of the worldly ways of their friends or of their family. But he goes on to say, but I... Tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. He's referring to people who seem to be living the high life. They have it all together. They don't worry about their bills being paid. They, they go on trips. They build the homes. They drive the nicest things, yet they haven't suffered anything. But he says they will taste death when? When they see the kingdom. Whenever they die and they see him face to face, they will begin to be able to understand the depths and the taste of death. 
Now in Mark chapter 16, I'm just going to read the whole, whole thing again. It literally is the exact same story. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So let's just face it, there are people who live today that you may be a part of or that you may know that have no fear about anything. They have no care about anything. They have no scripturally found moral standard that they live on, and they think everything is just fine, and they will live just fine, and they will be just fine. But those people, unfortunately, will be facing him one day, and they will receive the payment for what they have done. What does that mean? That means that people that fail to repent of their sin and call upon the name of Jesus, who seem to have it all together, and you wonder, why are they being blessed and I'm not? I'm living faithfully for the Lord, yet they're the ones making all the money. I'm the one serving in the church, and they're the ones driving the nicer things. I'm the one that's faithfully reading and praying and serving, yet I seem to get nothing. Those people will receive the justice due them. And then you too will receive the beauty and the blessing and the gift due you. It's hard to measure here what it is to really, you know, the checks and balances of what it costs to measure eternity with Christ because we can't put a tangible number on it. We can't put an amount on it. It is a gift that is freely given that we will, like I said last week or whenever, that we will be able to measure by spending eternity with him. Or you will measure by spending eternity away from him. So if there are people in this room and you flirted with Jesus a little bit and, and you kind of like the idea of going to church, but you love the idea of living in your sinfulness the rest of the time, then I plead with you to repent of it because guess what? You're going to eventually receive what is due you. And you may not taste the death right now, but eventually you will. So <clears throat> let's see here. It says, <clears throat> if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Those are the three things we're going to look at. But I want to look at the people that he's addressing. He says, if anyone would come after me. You know, something I said last week was, um, you know, my girls are getting older now. We have five girls in the house. And um, Michaela is dealing with six kids. One just happens to be 32, you know, going on 33. Um, we don't have a lot of time to mess around anymore. You know, my kids aren't playing with trucks downstairs in the nursery anymore. Um, my kids aren't, you know, watching Veggie Tales and not knowing what they're saying anymore. Uh, I, I don't have a lot of time to mess around when it comes to <clears throat> the salvation of my girls. And it's very important for me to ensure that my girls understand what salvation is. It's very important for me as we transition into this new phase of life where, you know, kids develop personalities, where where kids develop speech, and that speech is then used in response to your criticism, discipline, or instruction, right? And and, and we've come to this point where we can't mess around with flirting with Jesus or, or messing around with lukewarm lifestyles or anything. Like, we have got to be ready to run the race. And what I want to do this year is really get all of us who are here to be ready to run the race, but to also do it by coming after Jesus. 
So if you're here and you're flirting with Jesus, I plead with you to repent and to find yourself truly, passionately on fire for the Lord. Or guess what? Eventually you're going to fizzle out and you're going to make room for someone else to sit here. Like that's eventually what's going to happen. You're going to grow lukewarm and then it's not going to be an interest to you. But I'm pleading with you to find yourself in true submission to who Christ is. Christ is your savior. He is your redeemer. He is your father. He is your friend. He is sometimes your only person you can trust. He is everything for you. My prayer is that you would understand that. But he says, if anyone would come after me. So he's addressing people that have a true desire to know him, to follow him. This is why Jesus oftentimes, whenever he would do his parables, and the people wouldn't quite understand. And he would say, those who have ears do what? Let them hear. Meaning, I'm not here just to tickle the ears of people that are lazy and not interested in truly, passionately, and obediently following me. I want people who are truly invested completely surrendered to me. And this is where we come. So if you and I are to really run this race, okay, if you're really to take a step of faith and say, okay, God, whatever it is that you call me to this year, I'm going to go head first in. Whatever it is that you call me to, whatever door you open for me, I'm going to walk faithfully in and I'm going to serve you in. I'm going to worship you in. I'm going to, I'm going to take a step of, out of my comfort zone in. Whatever it is, this is how we do it. We first have to deny ourselves. Isn't that hard? I mean, who am I to tell you that two bowls of ice cream is too much? Right? I mean, you deserve it. You may work hard. Who am I to tell you that that alcoholism is wrong? Who am I to tell you that adultery is going to destroy your marriage? I mean, you're grown. You're an adult, right? You're a grown man. You're a grown woman. I mean... Who's anyone to tell you what you can and cannot do, how you can and cannot behave? And that's where we find this first bit of friction. Because when Jesus says, if you really want to be my follower, you have to deny yourself of everything. Not just, you know, one drink versus two drinks. It's any form of sinfulness I must deny myself from. It's not just a little bit of flirtation at the office here or there. It is to deny myself completely from all of it. So what Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, this isn't just, okay, I'm going to develop discipline in this area. I'm going to discipline myself in that area. And I'm going to be good in this area. And I'm going to refrain from that. No, no, no. He is saying you must deny yourself completely. This is giving up ownership of your own life. this is you saying, okay, if I were to run my life, I would run it straight into the ground. But I'm going to give up ownership of my own life and I'm going to live by the way that Jesus desires for me to live. One of the life principles I, I give my family is if I have to question it, it's no. Right? If I question it, it's no. If I question, is this right or wrong? Is this too much or too little? Is this enough or not? Is this sinful or is this going to be look bad if somebody found out I did this? It's no. Right? So there's a life principle. But Jesus is saying, you must deny yourself. Now, here's a verse I found earlier, and I couldn't help but to read it and to put it into a connection with this. Not only does Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 say that for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, right? All discipline in the moment seems painful, especially this time of the year when you're starting the new diets and the new exercise programs. It seems painful eating the broccoli, right? 
with no, no uh, cheese all over it. You know, you just steam it and you're trying to swallow it down or you're eating it whole right out of the fridge and you're, you know, you're trying not to puke it up and then regurgitate it. Um, <clears throat> whatever. <laughs> but it seems painful in the moment, not very pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So this is referring to spiritual discipline to praying and reading my Bible, to meeting on a regular basis, not like some have chosen to do. So spiritual discipline doesn't always seem painful. I mean, there's times where I get up to read or I'm trying to read through a book of the Bible and it's like it's written, written in other languages, right? I mean, you read it and you're like, man, what in the world did I just read? I have no idea how, what in the world this even means to me. Or there's times where you get up to pray and then you wake up and it's the next morning, right? There's times where you have to discipline yourself and it's not always pleasant. It's not always pleasant to completely change the way that you live. But later it says that it will produce fruitfulness. So whenever you read that, and then I also read Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in what? much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. So if you were to get a little bit of control of your life and say, okay, I'm going to control this part of my life, guess what? You're going to be unfaithful in it just as as you would the entire control of it. So what Jesus is almost saying is like, hey, you on your own cannot control your life very well because you will find yourself in sinfulness and evil. So you need to deny yourself of that right and hand it over to me. This is exactly what Jesus is saying. Hand over the right of your livelihood to me, and I will be faithful to you in all things. Now, does all things mean everything is good and everything is fun? No. But it means that he will provide, he will guide, he will protect, he will comfort, he will help, he will equip, and he will do exactly what you and I cannot do, which is literally everything. We think we can, but what he is saying is we must deny ourselves from this right of being controlling of our own lives. And then he said what? To take up your cross. You know, we say that a lot, don't we? Just take up your cross, man. And this is not a phrase they would have used back then. The cross was a sign of humiliation. They would have never said, just take up your cross. Never. Because it would have been a reminder of being completely naked, hanging on a cross for the entire world to humiliate, mock, and to literally beat to death. So they would have never really used this language like we use today. You know, when we say just take up your cross, we're trying to encourage people to just read their Bible for five minutes a day or take up your cross and not go to that establishment anymore. I mean, it's almost kind of petty how we've made it. We've almost sissified you know, you hear the preachers talk about sissified Jesus. We talk about a sissified cross bearing. And we talk about how you and I, if we aren't careful, we'll be so caught up in the culture. Today, I happened to Google the period of the Enlightenment. Does anybody remember that? It was like in the 1650s to around the 1800 mark, the period of the Enlightenment, which has literally changed and shaped the way the world views government religion, and all things. And, the, and, and since the period of the Enlightenment, you and I as people, as a human race, have made the entire existence of the world about who? Me. It's all about you. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever pleases you. Do whatever pleases me. In fact, the sayings of our fast food restaurants say, have it what? Your way. 
you rule. No, you don't. No, you don't. Or Nike will say, just do it, right? Just do it. Or Disney princesses will tell you, just follow your heart. You know, I mean, we're, we're shaping a society that literally views the entirety of our existence all about us. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's literally referring to dying completely. I mean, people didn't hang on the cross, you know, for a few hours and have, have a good time. The, the hanging on the cross wasn't a family affair where, hey, instead of playing hor- cornhole, let's just hang on the cross, right? Like there, there was nothing enjoyable about the cross. So when Jesus says, hey, first you deny yourself. Okay, I'm now giving up every right of my own livelihood and I'm going to obey Jesus. I'm going to trust God to do all of my livelihood that I cannot do. I'm going to trust that God will provide for me. I'm going to trust that God will guide me. I'm going to trust that God will heal me. I'm going to trust that God will answer my questions, answer my prayers. I'm going to trust that God will do all things for me. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength, right? So I'm going to wait, trust on the Lord. And then he says to take up your cross, which means to literally put to death all desires of your flesh. Paul talks about this spiritual warfare that you and I are a part of. Not only about the forces of evil, but you and I have a daily battle with our flesh. If you are a born-again believer and follower of Jesus, then you have heaven to look forward to. But until you reach there, there's sometimes hell on earth. Right? There's sometimes to where you have to then battle the forces of hell against you. And Satan will try everything he can to cause you to stumble. And then you will also be tempted by your own flesh because the flesh, unfortunately, loves and craves for sinfulness. Because by nature, you and I are creations in sin. By nature, and because of Adam and Eve's sin, you and I are all born into and in the likeness of sinfulness. So not only do we have to give over the authority of our own livelihoods and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust in you for all of it. I'm not going to control any of it because sometimes we like to give God, you know, our Sunday mornings or everything but our money or everything but our phones or everything but our conversations and our speech. Uh, No, no, no. We are literally giving up everything and we are going to deny ourselves of the right to control who we are. Doesn't mean you're lazy and just live and, you know, go with the wind as God leads you with the wind. No, no, no. It means you're disciplined and obedient to who he is and as he leads you. But then you also are to die completely to this world. So what does that mean? That means anything that you do, think or say that opposes this must be killed or it will kill you. It must be killed or it will kill you. The longer you flirt with destruction, the closer you are to it, right? The longer that you live in sinfulness that Jesus came to redeem you from, the further down you will go into it. You know, like James talks about how a desire then eventually births sinfulness. And that sinfulness brings what? Death. For the wages of what? Wages of wrongdoing? I mean, the wages of bad behavior? Or is it the wages of bad thinking? Or is it the wages of, you know, bad upbringing? No, no, no. The wages of sin is death. So you and I are all guilty of sin. We're all guilty of living according to the ways of this world. And in order to truly run the race that God's called us to, we have to put to death everything that gets in our way. 
We can't just put to death the, the convenient things. We can't just put to death the public things, even those private things that we struggle with, even those things that no one really knows about that we desire or that we act upon. Even those things that if we were to expose to the entire church, we would be completely embarrassed and never come back. Those things have to be put to death. We cannot hold Jesus in one hand and hold the devil in the other. We cannot. We must put to death. And I guess this is why I'm, I know my voice is raspy. I sound old and cranky today, but maybe I am because I've done ministry long enough and I've unfortunately wasted a lot of hours with people that hold Jesus' hand on Sundays and the devil's the rest of the time and plead with them to repent of their sin and kill it. Because guess what? Jesus said, in order to, to be my disciple, you must. He didn't say, I think you should. He said, you must, must do these things. And lastly, he says, follow me. So you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, meaning you and I are tempted daily, right? I mean, we're tempted daily. We're tempted by the hour. And then we must follow him. What does that mean? Follow Jesus. You know, I wish, you know, this Life 360 is kind of cool, isn't it? You can kind of see where people are at and you can follow them on there. And you can say, man, where are they at? I'm waiting on them. You know, I like to uh, drop Michaela off at the, at the front door of Walmart. And I like to drive around the parking lot because it's just easier to keep all the kids confined to seatbelts than it is to run through the store um, because that's when we lose a few. And um, <laughs> if, you, if you know, you know, right? Um, so we'll drive around and the girls are like, when is mom coming out? Like she went in for two things. So I'll pull up to Life360 and I'll follow her through the store. I'll be like, okay, girls, just, just chill out. She's almost there. She's at the front door. And, you know, if it was just that easy, wouldn't that be nice? Okay, okay, God's calling me to this job next year. Perfect. I'm going to follow him there. Okay, God's calling me to this, this spouse, or he's going to give me this person to date. And, you know, that's going to be nice. He's going to give me this door to open. Um, but you and I must follow Jesus. In a, and he says these things in a time they didn't have the technology that you and I have. He's telling people to follow him, and he's literally about to die and disappear from their existence. So how do you and I follow a man that's seated at the right hand of the Father that isn't coming back until he comes back once and for all? He's not coming down and kind of guiding us, hey, if you just open this door, hey, if you go there, you know, he's not giving these things. He's not emailing you on a regular basis. God's going to speak to you in numerous ways. He's going to speak to you through his word. He's going to speak to you through his spirit. He's going to speak to you through his people. He's going to speak to you in those ways. And it's your and my responsibility to truly follow him. So how do we follow Jesus? Well, we first need to obey his commands. Jesus says, I will know that you're my disciple if you, what? Love me. And if you love me, that you will do what? Obey my commands. So in order to truly follow Jesus, in order to truly say, okay, this year is the year I run the race God's called me to. How do I do it? Well, you follow Jesus. Okay, well, Jesus is gone like 2,000 years ago. Where am I following him to? He's not hiding up in the mountains, you know. He's not in the, in the great deserts. No, no, no. He's seated on his throne like he should be. And he's calling you to follow him there. He's calling you to obey this. He's calling you to imitate him. The term Christian literally means little Christ. 
So in order to be a follower of his, a born-again believer, I'm going to now follow Jesus by obeying his command and imitating his example. And if I can do that, then I may just see over this next 12 months, these next five years, that I'm running this race that he's set before me. That I'm becoming the husband that God's called me to be. That you're becoming the wife that God's desiring you to be. That I'm becoming the minister or the worship leader or the Sunday school teacher or the employee or the brother or the sister that God's called you and created you to be. It doesn't happen by reading all the specialist books and, and taking this particular approach or following that tactic, though those may be helpful. The way that you and I run this race is to deny ourselves of all authority in who we are. Because whenever you and I are born again believers, we are made as new creations. And what we once were, we are no longer. So what that means is I was once with enmity with God. I was an enemy of his. But through the blood of Christ and through my faith in him, I am now called his son. So I have no authority over my own name. I am now his child. And I have to deny myself. And then I must kill and put to death all acts of sinfulness, all thoughts of sinfulness, all desires of sinfulness, as craving as you may have, or as strong as those cravings may be, and as desirable and pleasurable as those acts may be, we must put them to death. And then I must follow him. So like I've always said, my desire is whenever I die one day, then my girls will stand at the head of my casket or the foot I hope they get along, you know, like I might have one or two down here, one or two down there. Um, no, I pray, man, that when I die, hopefully I have an old age and, you know, I go peacefully holding Michaela's hand. And, you know, we're just running through the pearly gates and Peter's waiting and just waving us on, you know, and, and there we go. I pray that my girls stand at the casket and say, you know what, out of all the people we know, that's the greatest reflection of Jesus. They wouldn't say that right now. <laughs> you know, I, I'm more of the uh, authoritative, lose my mind, immature, 32-year-old man that I am. But my ultimate prayer is that as I run this race, this race isn't just for 2024. No, the race may just start right now, but the race won't end until I see him face to face. And he puts that crown on my head. And I received the reward that is due me. It's not because of me. It's not because of how good I was. Or it's not because of how well I interpreted the scriptures or how, how I led the church. No, no, no. It is because I followed him. Your calling, my calling is to follow him. Now, our actions during our time on this earth following him may be different. Your hobbies may be different. Your goals may be different. Your interests may be different. Your jobs may be different and duties and responsibilities. But ultimately, we have the same command, which is to deny oneself, take up our cross, and to follow him. So my prayer is that they'll be able to say, you know what, out of all the people on the earth, that was the closest thing to Jesus we could see. Why? Because I deny myself, because I took up my cross daily, and because I followed, I imitated, I obeyed him in all that I did. So if you want to run the race this year, if you want to jump on board and say, okay, Lord, I'm stepping out in faith this year and I'm going to run this race. I'm going to follow you. This is how you do it. Deny yourself of the authority of your own life and say, it's all in your hands, Lord. And then to pick up your cross, to put to death all sinful desires, thoughts, and actions, speech and everything, and then to imitate him. Let's pray. 